Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. We appreciate you joining us on this rainy Friday morning. My name is Mike Wynn. I am the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield and one of the co-hosts of this purportedly weekly radio program. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa. It's good to see you, Lieutenant. Good morning, Chief. Good to be seen. Appreciate you coming in on a day you weren't planning on working. Yeah. So I didn't, um, I didn't prep formal for no formal news articles, but there's a couple of things in the news that I, I did want to draw some attention to and then maybe spend some of our conversation this morning off of that. So I think the first one is, um, it was actually last Friday evening af- after our last program that uh, we became aware of the incident um, with the hay bales, the burnt hay bales and the political message yep. in the adjoining town of Dalton. And I just want to give a shout out to Dalton PD. They they crushed that investigation. That was that was amazing and well done. Um, but that the suspect in that case is scheduled to be um, in front of the court for a dangerousness hearing today. Um, and ironically, I had uh, on Sunday, my wife and I were heading out to Savoy, and when we headed out Route Nine, uh, they were just in the process of beginning to restack the new hay bales. And when we came back from our hike a couple hours later, the new sign with the new message was up. So quick, they weren't wasting any time. Yeah. Uh, but the, the local news story that I read this morning in the Berkshire Eagle, and I, I was, I was kind of, my heart was warmed by it, but I was kind of surprised. Um, the, the property owner, the farm owner, Mr. Crane, he called DPD I um, caught that. Yeah. I, I caught that article. It was actually late last night. It was on uh, the, the Eagles website. And yeah. And, and so two things struck me about that. One, what a generous and compassionate gesture on his part. You know, he, he heard some of the backstory of the suspect and he wanted to reach out. But operationally, I was struck because I, I know Dalton PD's facility, right? I'm like, you know, we probably wouldn't have allowed that because of the difference between the, their the way that their prisoners are held and our lockup. Like, if somebody called us and said, "Hey, I want to talk to somebody who's in your custody," I'm like, see him in court on Tuesday. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, we, we might make an exception for something that was uh, that was that impressive. That, that was definitely a um, an unusual uh, situation, and you know, maybe given the those circumstances, you know, it would, yeah. it would be something we would switch things up for, but it's uh supervisor's call in the moment. Yeah. Um, the other, the other article was on the front page of the Eagle today and I was struck by it. I'd never heard the story before. There's a, um, there's going to be a dedication ceremony in Germany for, uh, um, American airman who actually was executed by the SS in world war two. He, oh, par- wow. he parachuted, down behind enemy lines and uh, German soldiers brought him to this village. And when he was brought before the SS officer was in the village, the officer shot him down. Um, and so the, the community has had to live with the legacy of that 
since the since the you know since World War II, and they're um, marking his birthday by commemorating it by placing a plaque. So uh, he was he's a he's from Pittsfield. His, his family is still has deep roots here. Wow. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, what else in the news? You know what? That's enough for now. Um, you took a couple days off this lieutenant or this week, lieutenant. It's not not for pleasure. You've been busy. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what have you yeah. been up to? Um, no, I, you know, I, I think as I had alluded to, I, I had a lot of catching up to do around the uh, the farm, as we call it. Um, you know, it's. I know we had Sergeant Mazio in here talking um, when we did his, uh, you know, his, his profile going back a few months, and we talked about him having a farm, chickens, chickens, and chickens. He's, he's got. I think he's got. I, I want to say goats, a goose or two. I, yeah. you know, he's got all he's, sorts of stuff. He's providing eggs to a lot of the PPD. So twenty, you know, twenty plus years ago when I bought the place, it. Uh, I, I had kind of envisioned doing something like that. I always love horses. Always wanted to do horses. You're talking about that, but then as it's expensive, as I learned more about it, and the expense and the work, and you know, the you know, get up five in the morning, and it was just like you know, and, and then my kids were young and activities. It just never panned out. And it, I exposed my daughter at one point to horses. We you know, got her some lessons, and if she had jumped on it, we probably would have, you know, maybe explored it a little deeper. And um, so, the uh, the fact of the matter is, we never did animals, but I still have the property, and it takes a lot of a lot of upkeep. And sometimes I just have to, uh, you know, like give a good push to whether it's you know in the spring cleanup or the fall. It's just, so. I, I think. <laughs> I think that you should reach out for Chief Johnson and Lieutenant McCarthy Johnson, and um, I'm pretty sure they will convince you that you made the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of work and a lot of hours. When I was at, um, when I was the SRO at Taconic, Principal Doug McNally um, was there, you know, for a while. and Another he, farmer uh, from up in Windsor. Yeah. And the story, you know, what he would tell me i was like yeah sounds great you know in you know the idea of it but putting it to practice the execution is yeah 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 <laughs> all right so let's um let's spin off of something you just said because i had to interrupt your time off this week uh specifically due to the topic that you just mentioned and uh it's as good a place as any to start when we're talking about police stuff um school resource officers yep Right, so school is back in session for in-person learning, right? Right. hybrid model in-person learning. Yeah. Um, I was, I'm going to be polite about it. Let, let's just say I was mildly surprised when I had a conversation um, earlier this week with one of our school resource officers. Uh, Officer Godfrey had stopped by the school to kind of get a handle on, you know, what she could expect when more students return to the building. Uh, and she was informed that the schedule had changed again. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, you know, at, at that point in time was news to us. This is a, this is a very fluid situation as schools try to 
uh, to reopen safely. Um, but the district and the administration had made a decision to change the school schedule, um, which by necessity was going to impact us. Um, and the last 12 months, you know, 20, 2019, 2020, uh, have been the years of the SRO saga. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our viewers and listeners may not be aware, um, Pittsfield, Pittsfield PD, Pittsfield Public School District, we have been committed to a school resource officer program for a long time, a long time. Our SRO program actually goes back to before SRO was a formal thing. Um, if, if memory serves me correctly, so I graduated from high school in 88 and we did not have an SRO, but I think our first SRO was assigned to Taconic the following year. I think um, Sergeant Mark Bushy, as a patrol officer, started at Taconic in 89. Yeah. Uh, and the program started at Taconic, and then shortly thereafter, it expanded to Pittsfield High. I don't know if it was the following year or a couple of years later. Um, by the time I got out of college and was working for the city, so in 93, so you know, five years later, basically, four years later, uh, we had a well-established SRO program. Uh, you know, we're receiving grants to support the SRO program. Uh, back then, there there was a lot more instructional time. Um, you know, I'm, I don't want to talk about changes to the educational system in the Commonwealth. We're not we're not qualified, but at the at the outset of the SRO program, our SROs were allowed to actually teach some classes. You know, they were going in and, and doing stuff on crime prevention and community safety and um, public safety. So, um, you know, and then it expanded into the middle schools. And even though we only have four secondary schools at various times over the last 15 years, we've had as many as five SROs all at one time. Yep. Um, and the reason for that was that at one point we finally decided we needed to provide some SRO coverage to, um, was the alternative school at Hibbard. Yeah. And then when that program folded in, a good chunk of that population went over to Taconic. And so the Hibbard SRO co-located and you worked, you worked for a while with two SROs assigned yep. to the population at Taconic. Yep. Um, and, and I share this history because one, you know, our SRO program long predates uh, the, the national conversations for or against SROs, right? We've been at it for a long, long time. Um, and with a couple of brief exceptions, almost entirely police department funded. Right? There, there was a brief period of time when some grants covered part of the system, well, the fifth SRO. Um, but you know, it's it's a commitment we made, and it's a commitment that we've done our very best to try to adhere to. Um, but as expectations have changed and requirements have changed, and it's it's not easy to maintain an SRO program, right? The the investment is significant, the commitment is significant, the training uh, takes time. It's not like you know, this this came up last year. People were like, just you know, send someone so up there. I, said, I can't. Right, the the law has changed. Uh, the requirements have changed. Keeping an SRO in a school takes work. Yeah, it's not just 
taking a patrol officer and saying, hey, um, you're going to go to the school today. Right. There's specific training. There's, you know, you have to have, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, the right personality. Absolutely. It, because the officer has to have a particular personality and temperament. Yeah. It is not a role for somebody who, you know, for lack for lack of a better description, I mean, it's, we have people who who come on this job because they they want to protect, they want to serve, they want to make a difference, but you know they want to get bad guys. Yeah. That's that's it, right? It's the the thrill of that, and that's not a role for an SRO, right? An SRO has to be um, a teacher and a diplomat and a mentor and a counselor. There's just a lot more to it, right? Um, and so we've talked about this in the past, you know many times, several times, uh, as we continue to pursue our the department staffing goals and, and the goals that I've set for where I think we should be based on call volume and call for service and population, um, we've, done, we've done our best to maintain staffing in the schools. But SROs are drawn from patrol. And as we were going through the end of last year, and we were trying to maintain all of our other commitments to keep units staffed. Um, patrol got real, real lean, real lean. Um, drug unit was already lean. Always try to maintain full staffing in the detective bureau. Um, but patrol, due to injuries and attrition, got to the point where it, it was almost unsustainable. So traffic goes back to answering calls for service, not doing full-time traffic. And then... Just timing, we had an SRO leave. And so at that point, like, okay, do we even post this? Do do we fill that vacancy? And we looked at, you know, who the potential candidates were and, and you know, who had the training. And, you know, essentially the decision was we're we're gonna we're gonna make this work to the best of our ability, but we're gonna temporarily assign a couple people there, they can split it. Um, and even that was was hard to maintain right because they're working their regular shifts they're going up there you know on one of their two days off we're trying to arrange coverage they still have to attend training they still have to go to court right nothing nothing went away for them right and so um i you know i took some some pretty public hits and you know you as the supervisor were in that with me and you know people are demanding we want our school resource officer. We want our, you know, we want the school resource. And we'd like to give you a school resource officer, but there's nobody left, right? There's nobody on the bench. There's there's nobody to fill the spot. And it, just to to also add to that, we lost a couple of supervisors right. during that transition. We had to, you know, some of the um, the provisional or temporary supervisors that went were, back to patrol. were in patrol went back as officers right. and then we had to backfill at the time we had a sergeant in operational support that went back to patrol yeah. so you know a lot of moving parts a lot of balls in the air <clears throat> and so i i distinctly remember and this is when we could appear in person you know appearing at a couple city council meetings and just uh, a a line of parents who were insistent that we figure out a way to to refill that position and you know we're doing the best we can with the resources we have and it, it just wasn't possible then it got to the point, and I know this caused you a considerable amount of stress as the commander, the supervisor of the program, going into the tail end of last year, given the staffing numbers and the reality of the budget, I was debating 
pulling all of the school resource officers out, right? It, the, the numbers were just at the point where I was like, I may have to put these people back in uniform, back in patrol, just to fill shifts, right? right. And so the word was out that we were considering um, doing that, and, and then the, the outcry was even more. And so two things occurred, from my perspective, two things occurred, and you, you know, again, you were at some of these meetings with me, so pipe in at any time. The first was that we found out that there is a very clear misperception in many parts of the community about a what a school resource officer does. Right? Right. And I actually just had a community conversation Wednesday night about this and the question came and so the, the woman said, you know, how many Pittsfield schools have armed security guards? None. Right? It's police officers are not security guards. And so the first big misperception was that the SRO, the school resource officer, principal responsibility was building security. So that couldn't be farther from the truth. Right. Building security and consulting and planning for building security is part of the SRO's duty in combination with the school principal and vice principal or dean and the district's safety coordinator. But the school resource officer is not sitting at a fixed security point waiting for somebody to come barging in to confront them. That's not, you know, the, the school resource officer's job is essentially, and this is the way I always describe it, is they're a patrol officer whose beat is the school and the school community. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. Yeah. That's their beat. It's what it comes yeah, down the, to. So their job is to respond to reports of crime, public disorder, public safety uh, offenses in the building, around the building, and when the students are traveling to and from the building, right there, it's not geographically tied to that location. And it, it also, it, it, we can expand it beyond that because SROs often deal with situations that are, may happen overnight or the right. night before, but they just involve students or staff that then report it or, right. or provide, you know, some, some information or perspective th that following day. And, and they're fully functioning police officers. So they're answering calls, you know, with the population. They're taking reports. They're initiating investigations. Mm -hmm. They're recovering evidence. They're filing charges when it's appropriate. And as a result of that, they're frequently going to court, right? It, 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 they're not tied to that building. So that was the first thing is that, you know, our children are, are going to be less safe if that officer isn't sitting there watching the door. The officer's not sitting there watching the door to begin with. Right. Right. Um, and that's why we have operations plans for patrol response that is to deal with, you know, the that potential risk or threat. But the other part that came out of those discussions, again, in the end of last year, was a smaller number but vocal group just wanted the SROs gone, right? And in, in their belief, there is no reason for a school resource officer, an armed police officer, to be in a school at all. And that that was interesting because it was it was during that time that I actually had to go back and look at the more recent amendments to the Commonwealth laws and to come come back and say, hey, you passed the Juvenile Justice Reform Bill Act recently. That requires us to have at least one school resource officer. It's in the MGL. We don't have a choice, right? right. Now, it, it was interesting because it only required one per district. And, and I'm not really sure how those negotiations went, how, because 
we're a small district comparatively to some of the cities out east. I can't imagine any department saying, oh, yeah, we're going to have one to cover, you know, whatever. There's 30 some odd high schools in Chelsea right. or something like that. Right. Um, so so that was the first thing. And until that law is amended, we still have to negotiate this SRO program. We can't get rid of it. We have to have it. Uh, so that's 2019, right? We're clamoring for SROs in all the schools and an equally vehement argument, get them out. So the school year or the, the semester ends, we're going into the end of the year. We managed to salvage by doing some strategic moves and, and transfers the program. The SROs returned to school when whatever the end of the holiday break so that would have been january right and we're plodding along you know then the budget season kind of starts and we you know we know that there's there's going to be some questions about this program and then the pandemic hits and the schools close and we take the sros and we put them back in patrol and kind of didn't think about it much except during the budget process right and so we're projecting and we know we have that smaller group in the academy and the bigger group going to the academy. We're trying to figure out, you know, in 2020, going into 2021, what are we going to do with this program? What are the expectations going to be? What are the demands? We're still negotiating the the memorandum of understanding and the signed documents. So all kinds of stuff which, going on. Which was from 2018. 2017, the first time. Yeah. Right. Um, we just couldn't, we couldn't get it executed. Um, I don't want to get into that right now. But now the school's reopening and we got to figure out a plan. And the reality is, given everything else that's going on and other personnel transfers, we basically have two available assigned trained SROs, right? Um, The SRO Gray, who prior to the pandemic was the SRO at Taconic, kind of replaced you. Uh, was eligible for promotion and is at a point in his com- career where he wanted to pursue that. And so he got promoted uh, this spring and actually got permanently promoted uh, this month. He was, he was recognized by the council on Tuesday night. Um, and so when he left, that left us with two SROs, um, SRO Godfrey and SRO McMahon. And so we had to come up with a plan. You know, how are we going to deploy them? And so the current plan is uh, they're each going to cover two schools. And because of the the schedule that the district has hit on right now, uh, they're working half days in the schools and then, you know, doing their casework and then, you know, as as available to also assist patrol. But, I mean, these, it wasn't easy to to try to figure this out, right? I mean, how do you, how do you provide a resource to a school population that's only on location half of the time and the rest of the time they're still in contact in this virtual world um mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm keeping my fingers crossed and scratching my head what are we going to do when they're in a virtual classroom and something is said or something is done that potentially rises to the level of a threat or an attempt to intimidate how are we going to work that case <laughs> yeah or, or- you know, some other perceived dangerous situation. Um, it's funny. I, I was reading um, an article around the country. Some of the stuff that's kind of been um, some of the home life that is is 
by nature exposed, you know, has exposure to, um, you know, the virtual classrooms, you know, what's going on in the background, what are other people or teachers or, or students hearing in, in you well, know, the, the rest of the home? Well, we've had multiple, not locally, but we've had multiple cases reported since, you know, schools went back anywhere in the country this spring regarding um, teachers or administrators who have called the police to report students in a virtual classroom. So the students are in their home mm -hmm. with what's reported to be a weapon in the background. Right. And in at least two of the cases that I've read about, the student didn't attempt to access the weapon. The student wasn't indicating anything in the weapon. The student, it wasn't even a weapon, right? It was BB guns, right? Airsoft guns. But in one case, the, the young person had a collection and they had been, you know, taught to properly keep and store and maintain. So they were racked basically on the wall behind them. And that was reported as a violation of the district's weapon policy. And the other one, you know, the kid had come in from recess to go to class or whatever, and he'd set it down in the background. And that was reported as a violation of the district's weapon policy. And, you know, those are the types of things that if we were in person and, and that was, God forbid, you know, something that was brought to one of our SROs, they would mitigate it quickly and say, hey, this, you know, first of all, it was unintentional. It's not a real, it's not a real instrument. You know, there would be some mediation and, and resolution there. But because the, those districts were virtual, the response, the preferred response was, we're going to send police to that home. Right. What? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just those little things. Did you think a year ago with it, that was a situation that we would be dealing with or taking never. calls on or never in a million or would years. even, you know, come about? I mean, we it's, had issues with airsoft and pistols and, and act, um, airsoft pistols and BB pistols in the park um, two years ago. Right. I mean, that, that but that's in the community. Yeah. Right. It's not our business if the child has it in their home. <laughs> it, you know, I. I guess I should elaborate a little bit because there's absolutely situations where we've, we've gotten information right. and we do what we call a knock and talk. With, but that's with, because with, we think it's a real gun. With a parent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even, even an airsoft, you know, the, the reality or, or the, the real, how real they look. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's just because a gun is a gun until it's not a gun. Right. But you know, if yeah, if a child brandishes an airsoft pistol, it's a realistic looking replica and they commit a crime with it. Yeah, that's our business. We're going to go right. They pointed at somebody. They threatened somebody. They try to rob somebody. We're going to handle that. But you got a kid in class sitting in his bedroom and right. these things in the background yep. and we're the first call. Yeah. How about calling the parent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and so we've got a couple minutes left before the station break, and then we'll switch topics because we beat this one up a little bit today. But I think that distinction is something that I want to I want to cover. And you've been in the room when I've gone to um, secondary principals meetings. Is that look if if you don't want us to investigate it and potentially file charges because it's an act of behavior or misconduct, great, handle it. Handle it with the teacher, the principal, the dean. Don't loop in the SRO. If it gets to the point where it crosses the line between behavior or school policy and you're worried about criminal activity or safety, you know, it's, you know, you're concerned about safety, 
great. That's what the SRO is there for. But at that point in time, we're going to handle it our way, right? It's going to be done under our policies and procedures. Don't try to involve our SROs in stuff that's about school rules, right? Yep. That's not what they're there for. They are not the heavy hand and the hammer of the administration. Right. They're, they're there to be a police officer to protect that population. Yep. I, you know, I guess I just want to say before we, we, we take the break, the SRO program, it's, you know, designed, obviously, to, to provide service. You know, as we discussed, it's that officer's beat for the day. Um, they take ownership of that that community. They, you know, it's a real, um, they become very involved, activities and whatnot. Um, so as this national conversation evolves about what the the role of police is going to be, and I don't know if it'll be on a national level, probably each, each state municipality may come up with their own, um, you know, models of, of police services based on, on the wants and needs of the community. But the fact of the matter is the SRO program is probably one of, I'm not saying the best, but one of the, the, the most widespread and, and, and best opportunities for police to have outreach in, in to, to, you know, the, our younger population, certainly. Um, but so much of what they do Obviously, they're available there for for enforcement of the laws, um, but so much of what they do is relationship building. Yeah, and thank you for bringing that up, and we can wrap up on it because I can't count the number of times in my entire career that I've been in the field on an operation, sometimes a significant operation, and we're at the edge of the perimeter, and a parent or a child has come up to us and said, do you know Officer Bertelli? Do you know Officer Traversa? They're ISRO. And like, yep, we know them. As a matter of fact, they're here. Yeah. And, you know, they, they'll talk to them, right? We, we generate a lot of information and witness cooperation that way. So absolutely, it's a huge ability to build relationships. Yep. All right, let's check the weather and do some station identification and the PSAs. Thank you again for tuning in this morning to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on PCTV. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Today, rain, cooler with highs in the mid-50s. Temperature falling into the upper 40s this afternoon. Northwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain near 100%. Tonight, rain, cooler with lows in the upper 30s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Chance of rain 90%. Saturday, sunny. A chance of rain in the morning. Highs in the mid-50s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Chance of rain 40%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal Credit Union, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair, one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people they support, 
Visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. PCTV and WTBR are committed to serving our community in this difficult time. We will bring you live coverage of press conferences and official statements from our government officials on PCTV CityLink Channel 1303, on the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page, and on WTBR as they happen and as we are able to do so. Please stay tuned to our channels and our social media for updates on press conferences and other important information pertaining to the ongoing pandemic. Is your little one safe inside your vehicle? Is the child seat installed properly? Is it the correct seat for your child? Hi, this is Sergeant Mark Madeline with the Pittsfield Police Department, reminding you to please keep your children safe. Follow the safety seat manufacturer's recommendations for height and weight and check NHTSA's website or our Facebook page for recommendations. If you have a question or would like your seat installation checked, please contact our department at 413-448-9700, extension 575. Our officers are certified safety seat installers. Thank you. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. We good? We are. So my calendar, my phone's buzzing and popping over here. So I have a management team meeting that's going to start right as we're wrapping up the show here. But it's also been buzzing and popping all morning because this is the week that normally I would be at uh, at Chiefs training. I'd be at the annual conference and annual meeting of the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And uh, we were supposed to be in New Orleans this year, which I think I've talked about on the program, is is one of my favorite cities in the country. I used to, used to travel down there to train with Safariland and Monadnock all the time. I've got great friends that I've met through my trips down there. I just love to visit New Orleans and the surrounding area. And I was bummed out <clears throat> that the conference and, and annual meeting was canceled this year. Not only because I was looking forward to going back to New Orleans, but I just, I always love, um, I always love spending time at the IACP. It's a big contingent of mass chiefs we always go i'm going to send an email to retired chief Leahy this morning for the last couple of years uh, on voting day when we vote for the new slate of officers and amendments to our bylaws all the mass chiefs who are in attendance at iacp we all wear our mass chiefs shirts and we all find a location that we can take a picture of all of us as we go to cast our votes and then they kind of like run that on the um on the newsletter in police chiefs magazine it's it, like we set the trend now other states are starting to do it it's just I, I want mark to have all the chiefs who would be participating virtually to like send a selfie and just put them all in like one collage right because i don't think we should miss that opportunity but uh so the training right the the sessions that i get to attend when i go there are always top notch and um it the, one of the things about iacp that that many chiefs get to take advantage of is there's a lot going on educationally, but there's also a lot of stuff that goes on networking wise and socially. So it's a, an opportunity that many chiefs, myself included, take advantage of that um, will travel with our family. And they have training tracks also that family members are allowed to participate in. Oh, cool. Um, and so the first time that um, my, my bride traveled with me, because she you know, she's in higher ed, but she works in um, PR and media within that community. I had, I had picked all of my training tracks already. Like I knew where I was going to go every day. And, you know, you know me, we've worked together a lot. I picked all the stuff that was kind of in my alley, you know, use of force and SWAT and tactical and, you know, what, what kind of new gear. And so we're walking to class one morning. I said, what are you going to? And she gave me, uh, 
she gave me her list of classes for the morning and they all had to do with the public information function and community outreach. And I was like, I'm going with you. And I learned more that year than I probably had in the previous three years. And so since that time, I always look for the, the classes that are outside of my comfort zone that I'm, I'm the least familiar with and have to do with those, particularly with the things that are within the six pillars of 21st century policing. And so I've, I've gotten a lot more benefit out of the last couple of years than I did out of the first few that I went. Um, and so I was really looking forward to the training. And classes actually start tomorrow, I believe, uh, virtually. So, um, you know, it's going to be a challenge. But i got to block some time out every day, and sit down for some virtual classes, get on the app, and yeah. sit there in some Zoom or Teams webinars. And I, I've, I've done a lot of virtual stuff, you know, obviously the last couple of months, but I haven't done like a full day. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I So the longest one I've done so far was three hours, and it hurt. It yeah. hurt, like, you know, I'm fortunate in my office, I've got the status screen up on the wall. It's a, you know, good size monitor. It's got a remote camera and, and remote speaker. So I can pop something up on there and move around in the office and be on my feet and even, you know, at my desk, check an email or something like that. But yeah, I did three hours with the Secret Service. I, I thought my eyes were gonna fall out of my head. My brain was gonna explode. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I did, uh, had to be two or three hours with the legal update oh that we did God, this year. Yeah. And it was just like, uh, I was eating my nails. Yeah. And, and those, so like the online training, those aren't interactive. You're, you're essentially watching a presentation right. and right. The interactive ones, people are throwing questions oh, at you, yeah, right? Like yeah. you, you can't completely unplug. <laughs> so you, you gotta be paying enough attention that if they direct the question to you, you're you're not completely blowing them off. Yeah, you're right. Definitely a difference. I, I did one with a friend of mine, retired chief Ron Glidden, who uh, was a chief in Lee, uh, actually twice in my tenure. And um, Chief Glidden was doing one from his home out on the Cape. And I'm walking around the office. I'm like, he's going to, he knows I'm on here. He's going to throw a question out to me by name. I'm going to be, you know, reading an email or doing something else, signing off on a grant. And I'm just, it's going to be Bueller, Bueller, Mike, Mike. So, yeah. Um, so training, right? Yeah. A lot of training. I've been, I fixed my social media stuff finally. That was a month-long project. It was more than a month-long project. It became an issue in May. We kind of put a Band-Aid on it in May. Then it became a bigger issue in September. And then it took a month for Facebook to fix it. So everything is is now back the way it's supposed to be. We lost a lot of content. So you kept at it. it well, so we have a we have a vendor that archives right. our, for the city that archives our stuff. Yeah. And the vendor finally reached out and said, "You're gonna fix this, right? Where we can't provide the services we're supposed to provide you if you don't fix this." Yeah. And so they tried and. Um, I don't want to get into the details, but a lot of it had to do with the fact that when we built the original accounts way back when, the, the department account and my first chief's office account, um, we had a prior employee who was assigned as the administrator. And as the accounts, as we added more accounts and as the accounts evolved, he was the only name 
listed on my, I, even I wasn't listed on my account as an administrator. And because he didn't, uh, he didn't work for us anymore and the email address we had used didn't exist anymore, he, we couldn't add another administrator. Right? So they couldn't even go back in and add myself because it was just, it was quite literally an orphan account. And so um, I had to go through this huge appeal process, right? To send ton of stuff to Facebook before they would like free it up and then bring it back. So that was interesting. But I didn't, I mean, I brought that up because since it's working now, I can put posts about what we're doing. And the last you know week has just been so training focused, right? So we wrapped up the first round of in-service. Um, we're going to have to do a remote from uh, our next training location because we'll still be on the simulator. And we've been getting great feedback on the new simulator. Yeah. Did you get to shoot it? I No. I didn't no. get to shoot it this time. I got to shoot it a little bit when we tested it, but I didn't get to shoot it this time. So we just took, um, last year we took delivery of the, the Pittsfield Police Department's own first. I mean, we've rented and borrowed many times in the past, but our, our own first judgmental use of force simulator. And the one that we finally selected and managed to put the funding in place for is virtual reality. So it's not tied to a fixed location like when we set up um, firearms training system or Milo or Range 3000. So we can take it anywhere. So our off-site training location uh, this year, we were able to set it up in a separate space and in between classroom and uh, real-life scenarios. We should talk about the real-life scenarios for a second too. I, I, I used it when we were looking at it. Yep. We went to... Uh a train in and the vendor was in the back and I was really impressed. And when we got it, is that the one uh, we went to the all hazards thing? Yeah. That was the first day at, we saw it at the big E. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I was really excited about seeing it, this training round. And the morning that I had planned to go up there early and do it was the morning we had those, the pursuits and the, and the arrest last, uh, a week and a half ago. Okay. Um, but that's okay. I know the people that run it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're packing it up today. Um, so, and then yesterday I got to take a brief drive out to Dalton. So, um, you know, fall, fall means we're starting our training in earnest like we do every fall, but it also means all your instructor's credentials are, are due. Mm -hmm. And so we've got not just us, there's, there's been a turnover in the coordinator job for the firearms program in the Commonwealth and the new firearms coordinator has, has made some changes and some improvements. But as a result, every firearms instructor in the Commonwealth has to requalify and recertify as an instructor, not just the way that, you know, as officers, we have to qualify. Yeah. And so, um, we did a little lobbying and we managed to get some of those instructor research moved to Dalton. On, on their range because otherwise you know all the instructors in the western four counties were going to have to travel to devons and that becomes cost prohibitive and time consuming so we got some of them moved and uh, we had a pretty good sized group of traveling firearms instructors from all over western mass out there um putting their day in meeting the new coordinator going through some uh, new material that's going to be incorporated in the program so i didn't stay very long but i got to go out and uh our primary firearms instructor is the lead for these research. So I think we have seven dates uh, that, that are, well, six remaining dates that are scheduled. Uh, I have my dates coming up in a couple weeks. And then uh, all of our instructors will be back up to speed. Yep. And uh, 
we'll be able to start training some new instructors because everybody's qualifications will be uh, active and we're going on to a new rotation. So that's kind of cool. Um, but lots, lots of stuff going on with training. Yeah. Um, it's typical of fall. Yeah. Um, I think I'm out later next week or, or maybe it's the following week, but we have our, our department, uh, instructor research Monday and then the, the, the state required one right. after that. So, so the other thing, um, <clears throat> the other thing with the training and we just, Actually, it's sitting in my inbox. I didn't sign it yet. We decided we were going to do it. Um, another one of our vendors, the Municipal Police Institute, has provided online content, particularly online content for smaller police departments um, for a number of years. And they use the same curriculum that the Municipal Police Training Committee puts out and they package it. You were just talking about the legal updates. Yep. And <clears throat> for a number of years, we've resisted fully committing to the MPI online training. Um, partly because I, I think there's a lot of value in in-person training and partly because I'm a big proponent of getting as many of our personnel certified as instructors as we can. So we have a good in-house training cadre. And as a result of that, we have instructors who can teach the curriculum. So it didn't make any sense to make our people sit in front of the terminal for two and a half hours. Um, but COVID changed that. And so the the mandatory training for 2020 that the MPTC pushed out was ver via this platform. They partnered and they said, every you know everybody in the Commonwealth gets access to this for the next couple of months, do your training. So uh, the department took advantage of that. And last week, having a conversation, particularly with our legal updates instructors, um, because we're so uncertain about how reopening is going to continue or if we might have to go backwards or how many people we can have in a space. Um, training unit said, we want to, we want to keep that. We want to expand it. So now every officer will continue to have access to that at least, uh, you know, for the duration of the emergency and, and possibly going forward, we'll just keep it. Gives yeah. us options and flexibility. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you can, take your training when you're on those long flights or long drives or whatever going somewhere else. <laughs> I really, I, I think it's good as a fill in. And obviously with the, the pandemic, it's been, you know, necessary for us to have that, but I'm, I'm, I'm a, an in-person training. Yeah. Obviously it's, it's just, it's the preference. It, it, I, I find it easier to absorb and retain material from in-person training, but I get it. You know, there's, it's a value added as an option. Some yeah. people prefer it. Um, it's certainly always an option if you can't meet, right? yeah. you can't get there. So yeah. um, let's shift gears a little bit. We talked about this, uh, you mentioned it. So, you know, community engagement, relationship building, community outreach. And I just was looking up at the, at the wall above your head and there's a, a plaque up there talking about the law enforcement torch run, another event that was canceled this year. We participated in it virtually, but you know, we're coming into the time of year where we'd normally be gearing up for cop on top and the polar plunge. And most of that stuff's not going to happen, at least not in the way that we're used to it. But, you know, we, we talk to our personnel about the things they do in the community and, and how involved we, um, our officers are in the community, but there's, there's some things that we are just organized, right? There's some things that we just like, you know, our, the Massachusetts law enforcement's relationship with Special Olympics and the law enforcement torch run, that's a 
in the Commonwealth, that's a given, right? It's like, yes, that's one of our big two, that and the Jimmy Fund for Dana-Farber. But, um, you know, some things are, are less holistic. And um, so it's October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, mm-hmm. which, where's my camera? That's my camera over there, right? And so that means it's Pink Patch Project time, and our officers get to uh, wear yep. their pink patches on their uniforms or wear their pink badges as part of the Pink Patch Project. And so that's been going on for several weeks. And then uh, a new commitment uh, that the department's been more you know, slowly developing a relationship with, um, but next month will be No Shave November, which in the Commonwealth has been um, selected to support a comparatively new organization. You know, it's only a few years old, in the, but Homebase. Mm-hmm. And Homebase is, um, is a, is a, it's a service provider for veterans and veterans' families. Um, focused on mental health and suicide prevention and, and other endeavors. But a strong working relationship between Homebase and Massachusetts law enforcement, particularly out east. Um, Red Sox are big supporters, and, and they do their in-person events at Fenway. Um, we haven't been able to, to participate in person with those uh, events yet just because of the travel time. But we've, we've had some degree of support. And so I was sending the email out yesterday for any of our officers who might choose to participate in No Shave November, right? Because you do a little soliciting, a little fundraising, and we, uh, you know, other departments lacks in their grooming requirements and i always laugh about this because we modified our grooming standards a few years ago so we got a lot of personnel who wear beards anyway mm-hmm. right so it's getting ready to send that out i was like well if it's just the if it's just the no shave november we're limiting our personnel to just you know the, the guys who haven't already grown a beard so i had to get creative so i will consider other grooming standard modifications on a case-by-case basis for anyone who wants to participate in, you know, so that includes hair color, hairstyle. Okay. Can you picture me with something other than the, the gray? <laughs> I, I can. <laughs> I can. Um, I think I, I'll go for the beard. You, listen, you know, either between October and the Pink Patch Project or um, bullying awareness, like purple. Your your bride would be pleased, you know, if you were rocking some royal purple. I don't know, just uh, it's it's just not the personality. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll comb it in just at the temples. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see what some of our our officers propose. I I have um, as I was hitting send on that, I was like, I I know there's a couple of our officers who are gonna come to me and say, Chief, you know, I want to do this. I can I can picture it already. Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to see how far we're willing to go with this. Yeah, yeah, that could get interesting. Could get interesting. Yeah. We had all. I mean, we had already. Um, so when when we first modified the grooming standards, which that. That was a process that took way longer than I thought it was going to. Like, we would send out models and say, okay, you know, this is what Boston uses. What do you think? Crickets. And so then we'd issue the rules and regulations. And two times in a row, we only issue the rules and regulations every other year, basically. Uh, 
for, so for over the course of four years, we would issue the rules and regulations and without fail, within a week of reissuing the rules and regulations, somebody would show up in my office and say, I thought you were going to do the beards. We asked for your input. Nobody responded. I don't have anything to go off of other than the models we sent you. What do you, how do you want this to go? So it, it took four years basically before we got any internal input and we modified it. And so we'd had the, the beard allowance for a couple of years. And I don't think it was when we were getting ready to do the last issue. So it would have been last year. Um, a couple of our female officers came to me and they, they had some requests. I was like, okay, fair's fair, right? So we made a couple modifications to nail polish and hair color. Got to be professional, but, you know, a little bit of individualism. And we have one officer, uh, I was walking out of the station maybe six weeks ago. She was standing outside of the station and she she had a little pink going in, in her hair. It's not October yet. And she's like, well, I'm just trying it out. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, it was subtle. Yeah. So the, the, the beard thing though has, um, a lot of people have, have taken a, advantage of a that. A lot of our personnel have taken advantage yeah. of the beard thing. Yeah. yeah. Which is why there's so f few left, I guess, that to would, Yeah, to participate in No yeah. Shave November. Yeah. And I've been doing it for the last couple of years, um, particularly for No Shave November. I basically, you know, start it for No Shave November and then keep it through the end of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't, I keep it through the end of the year because when we do like Santa calling hours or shop with a cop and stuff like that, by December, I, I could pass for Santa Claus, <laughs> which is why I don't keep it the rest of the year because it's, it's not gray anymore. It's like St. Nick white. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's, it's it, bad. Getting better and better every year. It, it's, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to name any names, but when we came on the job, there was a uh, officer eventually retired as a supervisor that, you know, locker room, locker room banter was about his habits with hair coloring it was pretty stark and pretty obvious and you know so he, he caught a little bit of gruff, gruff over that and i remember at the time thinking i would never and now i listen to ads on podcasts and stuff for male hair products i'm like maybe i should try it <laughs> uh, i'm not doing it yeah but, but the temptation is there all right, we got a few minutes left. I got to uh, I got to give a couple minutes to the Department of Cultural Development and the Lieutenant. You can kind of catch us up on what you're going to be doing to round out the rest of the chores. Oh God! Um, so I'm checking out the Cultural Pittsfield this week newsletter. Uh, let's see. Looks like big weekend out at Hancock Shaker Village. Uh, live music. There's some jazz going on there. Um, yoga classes all kinds I mean, all the yoga providers are doing special outdoor uh, yoga classes farmers market is going on again this weekend still did they move inside yet no it's all online check out the cultural pittsfield newsletter um the bcac elf warm clothing program has started they've made the announcements on that so keep that in mind it's a short newsletter this week um it's fall in the Berkshires, get out, do stuff, participate. Speaking of doing stuff, have you heard anything about the ski areas? 
and what they're doing this year? Anything different? I have not. Uh, not specifically. Um, I, ha- I did read an article that ironically, uh, as far as outdoor recreation, as long as they're putting good controls in on the lifts, skiing is a sport that lends itself to social distancing and face covering use. I mean, that's, that's regular stuff for skiers anyway. So, uh, you know, it's going to be controlling access to the lift lines. It's going to present the challenge and probably not going to have access to the lodges. Yeah. The food service, I I guess, would be affected. Um, you know, especially, you know, keeping in mind that, that Bosque was, has new ownership this year. Yeah. and, And so I haven't read anything specific about Bosque, but I know, I know that group and they're both creative and committed. You know, the, we've seen this time and time again. I actually had, well, County Ambulance had it yesterday. The food thing isn't that big a deal. Um, they'll just contract with food trucks, right? I was at a brewery yeah. recently. And they, so as long as you can maintain it outside, they'll put some food trucks in the parking lot. And, yeah. um, you know, they'll probably have to restrict the parking to, to much less than it normally is. Um but it's it's going to be the lift lines where the choke point and the control is going to be in, in the ski schools. I guess yeah. you know that yeah. would have to be um, small out, groups, you know, smaller small groups. groups, or you know. And I guess what it comes down to is is like you said, you could run a a, a group of skiers. You know, um, it, it's just a matter of getting them up the mountain. Right. So all yeah. right, so we are about out of time. What's what's le- next on the Punch list for the chores, Lieutenant. When are we going to get you back to work? Uh, I'll be back Monday. Um, I'm going to be on the range Monday for sure. And like as you said, there's a lot of lot of firearm stuff coming up. But uh, I got a big hedgerow that uh, is really intimidating. So I'm just going to have to get to it at some point. I'm going to have to have my my son help me out with that. Hold the ladder. One, one of those where you're at the top of, you know. Better you than me. An eight-foot ladder leaning over. Yeah. I got to, uh, I have been neglecting uh, the care and maintenance of my home gym. I've just been piling stuff and piling stuff. I got to clean and organize. Laundry? And, no, no, that's not the laundry. <laughs> but like I came back in from a, a ruck march and just like threw my weighted vest on top of other equipment. I, I got to put stuff back in its homes. So. Well, that's T- another thing. I take some do. control. I got. I got a. The basement is dried out. It's got to be put back together. All right. Thanks for tuning in this morning to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR eighty nine point seven FM Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Tune in. Join us next week for another new episode. Until then, be well, stay healthy, have a great week. <laughs>